This is an ABC podcast. Let's bang on. Okay. Da, na, 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 da, da. Bang on. On. Hello, Zan. Hello, Miff. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah? Yeah? You sure? <laughs> <laughs> are you okay? It are is you- Are You Okay coming up at the mm. moment. Look, everyone in Australia has very degraded mental health right now. I'm doing okay. It's spring. I am so affected by the weather and the fact that it's spring and the sun is out. It's the classic mm. first day and now second day of spring and the sun is still out before, you know, a little bit of rain comes back mm. to remind us we're not out of the woods yet. But it just it fills me up. It fills my cup, smelling the blooms and feeling the warmth and that promise, that hope of, of summer and, of course, summer means more freedoms. I've, you know, I'm holding on to as much hope as I can in these Fi- times. I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, good. Feeling the wind up your clacker when the dress blows up <laughs> in the wind. That's always a good feeling. That first time when you cross the road and it goes, woof, and you're like, oh, oh shit. Oh, my God. Shit. You, you're triggering me. I used to live near this massive wind tunnel in Sydney, which was like on the corner of um, Oxford Street. And what was the other street? It was right down the very bottom of the start of Oxford Street. Yeah. And it was such a big wind tunnel and more than a couple of times I was wearing like a skirt and it fully went like, you know, when a, an, um, <laughs> an umbrella face. goes yeah. <laughs> an umbrella goes upside down. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. But I had shopping in my hands so I couldn't save myself. <laughs> Undies to everyone in Oxford Street. A little bit of early Mardi Gras for everyone that I, day. It was, I love that. You yeah, shared the I'm, joy. <laughs> I've got to say something else that I used to love happening too is when you have your bag, your handbag, on your shoulder or a backpack or whatever and you're just holding it over one side and then somehow it miraculously catches on the back of your dress. So by the time you've reached your destination, (laughs) it's right up and your ass has been on show and no one, no one has ever told me when that's happened and when I've realised it's like the worst, the worst and you're like, oh, God, oh, God. I mean, how funny for everybody else though. Yeah, a little bit of upper thigh and ass cheek. Get those dresses out. Get, Get all of it out. Why not? Why not? Amazing. Look, it's been a very big week in the bang on email inbox. Can I just say um, I asked and we received a huge Mm. response to the ideas of coffee towels. Can I just give a shout out to our WA fam, many of whom have never emailed us or interacted with us before, but were so compelled by the claim that the western part of Australia called tea towels coffee towels Mm. that they had to set it straight and confirm coffee towels are not a thing, Miff. They're not a thing. We've been had. We were trolled. We suspected as much. And (laughs) I'm very thankful, though, that it, it motivated the Bang Fam to get together and confirm or deny exactly what we thought. Not true. People were really angry. Yeah, really angry. Everyone was like, no, look, I'm from Queensland and they, they kept saying, I'm from Queensland, I've lived here all my life, nobody says coffee towels. It was great. My favourite emails were from people who had listed all the places they'd lived around Australia <laughs> and the duration of times that they'd yeah. listed to, just to prove that they had the absolute definitive evidence. Look, I think that when we've kind of peeled back, and maybe we should have done this last week, but no, we just spoke off the top of our heads on, yeah. on this so-called coffee towel thing. I think that Cam was the guy who originally tweeted it and I think that he was doing a piss take on another map of Australia which shows the uh, potato cakes and potato scallops conundrum. And right. which, you know, which sta- which states and which parts of Australia call Because everyone loves that argument. It's total clickbait. Everyone loves the, you know, it's the same as the 
Savoy versus Jats or the melting mm. moment versus the yo-yo. People love arguing about food and Australian words for, for different kinds of foods. But would, we would, lost the source material. Yes, we lost we the original one and we went straight for the coffee towel yeah. uh, clickbait. There is no such thing as a coffee towel. No, no, there is not, no such thing. But I might start calling it but that there, now. But there is, there is such a thing as a cum rag, which that many people true. got your yeah. reference, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. What have I done? I'm, I'm, I'm basically any job prospects I might have had. Um, if they're listening to Bang On, I'm not getting hired. <laughs> Letting it all hang out. Yes. The other big thing of this week, Kanye West released finally Donda, the album that was spoken about as being coming out. You know, I think it was like something like 400 days ago he said he was going to put it out and it comes off the back of three live streaming events, the latest of which was the most elaborate. There were a few surprise guests that joined him Mm. on stage and if you don't know, and I think that most people do, but if you don't know, Donda is the name of his late mother who died in 2007, a strong black woman who he talks about a lot, really looked up to her, pretty much raised him as a single mum. Uh, was devastated after her death and has really dedicated this record to her and he's named it for her. Have you have you listened to it or did you watch the the live streaming event, the latest one that he put put? I on? have listened and I watched the live stream. Um, I'm just going to start with my first point. Far too long. Cut it back like everything else at the moment. Everything's too long. An hour and 48. (laughs) An hour and 48. Too much to ask, Kanye. I can barely look at Twitter for 10 minutes these days, let alone have to sit through. (laughs) And it was, I I think the live stream that I watched was an hour and 48. So, look, I'm starting with that. And also really questionable on the live stream, and, and these people are also involved on the album, that Marilyn Manson has been included and also DaBaby. We all know what Marilyn Manson's um, been accused of, and that is of, of sexual assault. And DaBaby has also been uh, been noted to say incredibly homophobic things, and also there are um, suggestions of sexual assault around him as well. So I don't know what Kanye is doing if he thinks that this is his way of saying something about cancel culture. First and foremost, I have to say, seeing those two just standing on a step out the front of a church in the in the auditorium. No, that, wasn't that his, he recreated his the childhood home that he'd grown up in? Like he'd basically built the, a, a recreation of his Chicago childhood home. Oh, was it? And they were standing on the front porch of that. I think possibly that's what it was, uh, yeah. It looked like a church to me, but it I, good thing is he didn't give either DaBaby or Marilyn Manson a chair. So if you have to stand for about an hour and 40 minutes <laughs> – and you're not a very nice person, I say, I don't care, that's good, that's a good thing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's got a few things on there that make me very, very uncomfortable. Uh, and then I listened and there are a lot of sounds on there that are, well, at the time when I listened were quite comforting because it harked back to my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, a lot of sounds that, that mm. were reminiscent of that and a lot of beautiful church organs and, and sparsity. And I, I think sound-wise and beat-wise, um, some of the tracks are great. Um, lyrically, I don't know. I, I just found it all a bit men's pain. I think I'm yeah, done. I think felt, I'm done with very men's much like pain. It was a to- <laughs> oh, yeah, like just total toddler throwing a tantrum, you know, and... We've spoken before about his, um, you know, th- his issues with, you know, mental health. He's got bipolar. He's spoken about that. We know he's um, struggled with a lot of stuff, particularly in the last few years. Mm. 
But I don't know. I feel like for me, this could be where I jump off. I'm a I'm a massive Kanye fan. I agree with you in terms of production. He's always been a far more superior producer than an MC. I don't think he's ever been a great MC, to be honest. The guests on this um, do show him up. So great, you know, lines from Jay Electronica and and some other guests as well. But the like. The reasons that he was adamant about including DeBaby was that DeBaby was one of the few people, and he's spoken about this, that supported him in his bid for the presidency. That speaks to Kanye's narcissism. It's like, oh, yeah, you got my back when I did this thing. And and remember, some of the things that he was talking about in his bid were really problematic as well. Yep. I don't know what his tie is with Marilyn Manson. He sampled Marilyn Manson on Black Skinhead all those years ago with Beautiful People. Mm. Marilyn Manson, like you say, has got a writing credit on this. I think he appears vocally. It's not quite clear um, on the album too. I don't know why. But I do know that Kanye is a provocateur. He loves people looking at him. He loves people talking about him like we're doing now. He obviously loves people listening to him. But the the when you when you've got an album that is dedicated and written for your mother, a strong black woman, and there are no strong black female voices apart from a Lauren Hill sample and your mother's voice that's been sampled, but all the live guests are men, a couple of which have allegedly caused severe pain to a number of women. What message does that send? And I don't think I want to invest in that message anymore. And I know that we talk about this, like separating the art from the artist, but the the Independent did a really great review of Donda and they kind of captured what I was feeling, which is, you know, you think about the the rollout of this and how long it took and and the fact that, you know, after the first one, it still wasn't released and it took three times. And the first time it was released, you know, the record label left a song off it, which they then added later, Mm. Jail Part 2, for whatever reasons. And in this review it says, West is evidently surrounded by a team who are too scared or too exhausted to say no, but it speaks volumes of society's apathy towards rape survivors that Universal would release this album with Manson on it. Donda's dragged-out release has often felt as though West was deliberately testing them, along with his fans, critics and his label. How far can he go before we snap? For me, the reviewer, His Manson stunt, if you can call it that, is it. West has aligned himself with a man whom at least 15 women have accused of rape, sexual assault, grooming, assault, torture, physical and psychological abuse. He stood on his late mother's porch with Manson, sang with him, openly mocking these women who were brave enough to to come forward. Critics often have to remind themselves to review the music, not to get caught up in the hyperbole or controversy surrounding the artist, but by involving Manson, West has made this impossible. Mm. And that's the line that I, that was crossed for me. It's like you can't, you're throwing this in our face and going, deal with it. And it's like, well, I'm out. Like, mm. yeah, I don't know. And, it's, and also it's not a very good record. So yeah, that's it's too long. A couple of great tracks know? on there, too long, needs an editor. Um Oh, look, I really enjoyed the music side of it, but yes, that inclusion in the launch and the listening party of those two front and centre with him as if they were on equal standing, it kind of projects him or, or it suggests that his trajectory is that of a an MRA, a men's rights activist, and this is this mm. is where he's heading and, and we all know where that leads to. That leads to weird incel behaviour and, um, and quite frankly, I can't, cope with that in my brain at the moment. 
it's too mm. much. I, I, the world is bad enough to open the door to a bloke who's whinging about, you know, and it's rich people's problems too, whinging about mm. the breakup mm. of his relationship and how difficult it is. Um, and I love Kanye, I really do, but I just, I'm just it's, I don't know, I, I think it's, it feels so heavy for this time that we're in and the fact that he has included the likes of Marilyn Manson and DaBaby, it, it just, I don't know, it feels like I've had enough of people baiting me too. Like it's Well, that's the thing. It's like exhausting. We talk about it's exhausting. Being, you know, it, it, art should be provoking us, making us uncomfortable, but this, uh, to what end? Like when mm. you look at the way that he rolled this out and you listen to the lyrics, as you say, like it's a very narcissistic record. It's not... It's not encouraging a reaction in order for us to think about things deeply. It's prodding prodding you with a hot poker and saying, "Look at me and listen to me and 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 the the spectacle of it all." Yeah, the sheer spectacle and and, and the and the response and the outrage is is enough, and that's that's not good enough. I don't think that's good yeah. enough. Like, and you, you, know- you can write about your failed marriage; that's fine, but don't don't bring all this other really grubby, awful stuff into it that just makes. So many of your fans feel like shit and worse, you know. Yeah. You don't need to do, – he doesn't need to do it. No. Nah, like why is he doing it? Because he wants that attention. It's so – it's infuriating. And to be honest, I'm surrounded by enough people talking about their failed marriages in our socials, social time, so I don't really want to listen to another record about it like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also it's okay not to love an artist's entire oeuvre. It's okay. Like I, I was a – you know, I can say I'm a fan of an artist but – that doesn't mean I've listened to every single album and I obsess over every lyric in every song. Some people have those mm. kind of fans, but I'm not that person in life anyway. And I, I adored Kanye. And it's interesting with the hurricane in, in New Orleans ha- has just happened or, or the, the, the terrible weather that they had down there. And that reminded me of the time when Hurricane Katrina took place also in New Orleans around about this mm. time of the year, same time that, that Kanye's releasing that album. And I remember what, Kanye did and that was stand on television on one of the Tonight Shows and said uh, the government doesn't care about black people. He was talking about powerful stuff. He was using his voice in a powerful way and I don't mm. feel like that voice is being utilised really much at all in this album. So that's that's the disappointment for me and when he does use it, he's using it in very strange ways. Well, all of this comes at the same time as this Fantastic long read uh, that I saw this week on Junkie by a, a journalist and songwriter called Richard S. titled "How Do You Solve a Problem Like Dr. Luke?" Dr. Luke, if you're not up to speed, is uh, one of the big songwriters and producers who has worked with a bunch of pop stars, most notably with Kesha, and has been involved in various legal cases in the last five years, where Kesha has alleged that he sexually assaulted her. And there has been a lot of cases around how she gets out of her contract with his label. It's a big story. This very long read unpacks the story, but it really acts as a case study for how the industry assists in the rehabilitation of, you know, the images of allegedly bad people um, and how they never quite go away, um, but also how we as fans listen to music and mm. potentially boycott music and all the intricacies. It's such a nuanced piece. Yeah. It's really fascinating to read, wasn't it? Yeah, thanks for, for passing this one on. Um, 
because I think as we talk about how or if we listen to Kanye's new record, if we choose to, what are you actually boycotting? And this article brings that up, doesn't it? It's not so simple to boycott an artist because their producer was um, is, is, is accused of, of terrible behaviours because the way the industry works and the structure behind it means that that person is still going to get the money regardless. So mm. especially in the streaming culture, this still happens. So there's no way to actually go it's black and white. I boycott that artist because the producer is problematic and yet mm. that producer has worked on many, many other things. There's an entire system built around protecting these people because these people make record companies money. It's like this sort of ghost structure that exists and it, it means that Dr Luke can then work under a pseudonym on many other artists' work and still get the which money. Which he has been doing, which yeah. Which he has been doing and journalists haven't been asking the artists who choose to work with him knowing full well that that he is involved and yet not under his name and it's all so problematic. So I, I, the journalist is suggesting that it's you don't necessarily boycott the music but you draw your own moral line, you draw your own moral boundary on this and mm. and and quite often that's very very difficult if near impossible to do now well yeah i mean he talks about how it's you know it's you've got to acknowledge the impact and it might not be a very big impact of your decision um because like you say whether or not you listen other people w- will and the profits will continue to flow but it's about you know the importance still lies in i think that when we talk about boycotting we think about um you know the end result and how it will hurt and affect the person at the other end they're not going to get paid they're not going to have their work published whatever that means but it's a great reminder that that is just as important for your personal ethics to understand what you choose to, to and, and to not do. And, yeah, exactly, like me not listening to the Kanye record ain't going to make a lick of difference to him. Mm-mm. But for me, I've I've thought about my relationship with this artist and about what his actions do to, to people outside of me and that's my ethical choice to not do that. And, you know, anybody who's listening to Bang On might be like, I don't give a shit what your ethical choice is, but that's the point. It's like it's my ethical choice yeah. to do that. The other thing, though, that he brings up, and this is the that tricky, much bigger problem to solve that we are talking about more and more in the music industry and more and more in the Australian music industry very recently, but it is a big problem and it's going to take a lot of work and we're here for it, is those three things that, that you know, the core structural flaws that feed into that and that is hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about the people that control very often, you know, high up, high up, um, cis white A and R men who control the game, and that you know it feeds directly into diversity of lack of or lack of, mm-hmm. which is another one of the key points. You know, representation. If producers and engineers and the business itself is vastly underrepresented in in women and people who identify as women, then that that representation makes a difference. It's not gonna you know you got to close the gender gap before you solve these problems. And then the most damning one, which is what we talk about, like capitalism, you know, that the music industry is fundamentally broken, Richard says, and it has been since the beginning of recorded Mm. music. The rot starts at the top and flows all the way to the bottom. It's about people not owning their masters, which we've talked about before. Mm. It's about 
um, people only getting, you know, 0.008 of a cents per stream. It's all of those things. So they're massive, massive issues. And as the music industry continues to kind of almost self-destruct, it still survives amazingly in this digital age, but so much of it has been broken apart because the people who it doesn't serve have found other ways to do it and mm. yeah it's just a, like i said it's a really interesting long read if you're fascinated yeah. about any of this stuff because all of these things apply to just just about every other industry yeah. it's not just a music industry thing alone um and it it really explores all the issues um, in a really deep way with Dr. Luke as, as a case study. Yeah. It's a lot though, isn't it? It is it's a lot. lot. It's I, hard. It's really difficult, but um, I, I really like this. I, I'll pull this out of the article that spoke to me. Um, the truth is there is no private individual moral calculus that we can use to rationalise our way out of an existing structural issue. There is no path to unstreaming uh, Dr. Luke out of his fortune nor his ongoing career. We have to live with some level of discomfort. And that mm. was like, oh, no, I don't. No, I don't. But then when you set out how problematic the entire structure is, unless you bin it completely, which probably won't happen in a lifetime, it may happen, we, mm. there has to be a level of discomfort in what's happened in the past and acknowledging it. Um, but otherwise, you know, that we, we can't delete the musical history that exists but we can question how and why it was successful, I think. And those questions are already happening. We talked before about Beneath the Glass Ceiling. Also this week, a new podcast, which is put out by the same people who do the monthly and the Saturday paper, Everybody Knows. Also the same team that do the 7am daily podcast. So Ruby Jones, um, great journo, is hosting a new podcast called Everybody Knows, and that's about these issues of... uh, allegations and assault within the Australian music industry, but also about why the Me Too movement hasn't properly taken off in Australia. Mm. So I'm digging into that one, and I'm sure we'll talk about that down the track in Bang On. For sure. Just wanted to alert you, Zan, to a beautiful piece that I read in The Guardian this week and it's by journo Patrick Lenton. He used to be the editor at Junkies, now doing freelance stuff, mm. and this is his first foray into the freelance world. I'm sure he's done plenty of others, but this is a, as a freelancer. And um, I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did. It's called My Radical Love Experiment Shows There Is Light at the End of Pandemic Dating and It Isn't a Laptop Screen. And uh, it's a tale of love in the pandemic and how it worked and it's just really nice to read something joyous and read about how two people who found each other over the internet in different cities have managed to navigate this pandemic and actually fall in love and they're looking towards living together in the very near future. Um, Patrick's moved from wherever he was to come to Melbourne to be with his partner and it was just beautiful. I was like, oh, thank God, something nice. (laughs) And it's he slid be- into the DMs and it worked. It's beautifully written as well. But also it, it discusses that issue that I think we all face at the moment as we hopefully will be heading back into a normal world. What's it going to be like when we're back on one-on-one communication and uh, you know, have mm. we lost our skills? I don't know. Is it still possible to to engage in the way that we used to? I think this article proves that you can. So 
we'll all just flip Oh, there back. is an amazing piece though. Like how good is the piece where he's talking about because obviously they've never met and they're just chatting and they end up spending more and more time together. And anybody who's ever had a long-distance relationship or is currently, you know, separated because of the pandemic from that person you love, you do things like you watch movies together with, you know, your FaceTime open or you um, just – sit there with each other and don't necessarily talk all of that stuff he explores but there's one particular paragraph which cracked me up where Patrick says um without thinking I absently stroked the back of my laptop like it was her head and I had the intrusive thought that in real life her head would be as smooth and flat and as two-dimensional as the back of a laptop I couldn't shake it couldn't stop obsessing over the idea that this woman having a flat skull that perhaps thrummed with static like the back of a MacBook and in that dark quiet room after I finally said goodnight and closed my laptop I started laughing hopelessly about the thought it would be months still until I would finally be able to prove my delirium incorrect she does have a round head <laughs> that's gorgeous <laughs> I think I think that we bounce back though like one of the things that I learned a lot and I particularly when I was um when I took a few months off to take long service leave bang on took a, a, a little bit of a break at the end of 2019 I realized how much the human mind adapts to because I was constantly changing where I was and I was in situations that on paper I would have been like god I'd never imagined I'd be in this situation but I just I just got on with it and I think that even coming out of the very long lockdown in, in Melbourne last year and then feeling, you know, in over summer, last summer, there was times where I just say to my friends, did that really happen? Like you just, the, you bounce back because you have to because it's a survival instinct just to get on with it. Mm. So I, I, if you are having a long-distance love affair, um, you will be able to, it's going to be awkward as fuck yeah. when you finally meet up, but you will be able to get back into that very human um, human yeah. nature, you know, falling in love. And I know this as well because I have very personal experience at the dawn of the internet myth. I don't know if I've ever told this story mm-hmm. and bang on. You know it. At the dawn of the internet, I had a brother and a dad who were total, like, computer nerds. And they had a terminal from RMIT University in Melbourne, which was like a green text terminal, which was an internet computer. Like this was 1996. No one was on Gmail or Hotmail. This was very much at the very start. And I got a a university email address and my my brother helped me make a website. It was called Zanzu. You've probably heard me talk Mm -hmm. about that before, where I published my writings Musings, your musings. I love it. My musings. There was poetry on the on the website. And this guy who lived in Alaska one day stumbled across my website because in those days you did. You just found shit you were never looking for. And he read my writing and wrote me an email, which was very intriguing. And I wrote back and he wrote back. And six months later, I flew to Los Angeles where he then had moved to and that was my first love and I lived in LA for three and a half years six months in LA six months in Melbourne deferring my university degree changing my whole life it completely changed my life it obviously it came to an end but it completely changed who I was for the better changed my trajectory in what I wanted to do and it was a, com- a completely incredible and wild experience and so freaking awkward when we first met each other because oh, we didn't know what to do. Yeah. And it was so built up. But 
That was in the 90s. I love that. You were, <laughs> you were there at the start of the long-term love affair. Lucky you didn't get catfished, though, and it wasn't some big old fisherman from Alaska or something. <laughs> and then, Seriously, I just think about I think You'd back be living about out this, with the bears like, now. How old was I? I would have been 18, 19, and my, I went with a friend. Mm-hmm. Poor thing. She had to... That's a whole other story. We travelled around the southwest of the United States in a pop-top 1978 combi and she was in that combi when we were falling in love, let's just say, very close quarters. She's probably scarred for life. Is she still your friend? (laughs) Yes, she's still one of my good friends, Uh, one of my besties. But, um, the yeah, like I think back at that time and think, I can't believe my parents let me do that. But they probably knew I was going to do it anyway. And mm-hmm. they knew I was smart. But it's just like, can you imagine just your 18-year-old daughter heading off to America <laughs> to go and stay with a man that she'd met online? What? It, it didn't have the evil connotations, though, in those days. It was probably like just a pen no. friend or something. So they trusted it. Yeah. Yeah. These days yeah. it'd be like, if someone said that, I'd be going, no, come on now, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Thank I love God that. it worked out. There is hope. There is hope and it's beautiful. If you want something fun to read, please do read this one. It's beautiful, yeah. We'll put that in the show notes and we'll put the next piece in the show notes too because it's a fantastic resource that you sent along to me, Black, Black, Black Fulla. Language is important but it can be tricky. Uh, written by Jack Lattimore who's an Indigenous affairs journalist at The Age. He's a Burpai man and he has pretty much written a, a dot point of, you know, the confusions around what's okay and not okay to say as a as a non-Indigenous Australian. Mm. And it's a really useful resource. It, it spells it out very, very clearly, um, whether or not you use a capital letter for Aboriginal and country and Indigenous, the answer is always yes. Um, it's really simple. Uh, it's, it's um, you know, the, the origins of the spelling of black as in B-L-A-K um, and whether or not you use that or black in its original spelling, B-L-A-C-K or black fella or black fella and things like that, that that get used now but you may or may not have an understanding as to where they came from and I just found it really, really useful and I will continue to reference this because it's not hard to do the work, you know. I feel like I've, I'm getting there in terms of these things but it's always good to be reminded, yeah. And ask questions too. I had a guest in a couple of weeks ago, Steph Tisdell, who's an awesome comedian, Indigenous, and she speaks about in her comedy shows, just ask, just ask what you, you know, if you're confused, don't just assume and don't just go mm. bullheaded forward without knowing. And I asked her, I asked her about whether it was appropriate for white people like me to say mob, you know, use that term mob, which is something that Jack speaks to as well. Mm. And she gave me some information. She was happy I asked. So just bloody ask. Absolutely. Don't 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 assume that everyone wants to educate you. But if you've you know, if you if you're curious about something before you use the words, ask if it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Ask questions. <laughs> it's that easy. Yeah, but language is important. So it's careful. It's it's important. You do get it right. Yes. Hey, before we get into our bang on this week, um, and you're going to love mine. I just want to read you out an amazing email that came into our bang box, which did overfloweth. It was so joyful. Thank you to everyone who shot us a message this week. It it means so much to us. Um, Cindy from WA, uh, first of all, does confirm, not coffee towels, but she also said, Hi, Miff and Zan. Thank you for your legendary recommendations. As always, love it. 
Now, I listened to the episode regarding sex life while I was working. So when it popped up on my Netflix, I went to watch it because in the recesses of my brain, Mifid Zan had recommended it. (laughs) I fucking hated it. But did I watch the first ep? Yes, I did. Then I went back to the Bang On episode and realised Mif was actually talking about it in terms of hate watching (laughs) and it made so much more sense. Did I watch the remaining eps? Of course I did. I hate watched the whole whiny, ridiculous, privileged as fuck thing. Hate watching my new love. Thanks heaps. You too. Yeah, thanks. Oh, that is so what we're here for, aren't we? Hate watch recommends. We should do that every week or at least I can because, uh, you know, that's all I do. I mean, we warned her. We did Thank you, warn Cindy, her, that made our day. I love that she's excused watching the entire series on hate watching rather than the fact that it's a bit sassy. A little bit saucy, a little bit sassy, and there's a little Especially bit of... Especially halfway through episode three, And there's I a right? bit of full frontal nudity and all that kind of gear. No, no, you just hate watch that show. Just hate watch it. That's why. No, it's it's a terrible show, but it's actually it's quite wonderful as well in so many ways. Are, are you hate watching anything this week? What are you banging on about? Uh, not a hate watch at all. This is just something completely out of the blue. Again, if you want to watch something that's got nothing to do with what's going on at the moment... It's not about contemporary art. It's about an artist that you would know the name, definitely Rudolf Nureyev, who was the Russian ballet dancer who defected from Russia to America, uh, one of the most extraordinary ballet dancers this world has seen. He, He was often sort of spoken about as if he was like this almost unearthly creature, like a panther, a lion. He was absolutely magnetic and watching him dance, I I just realised how much I didn't know about him and this time. And there's a documentary that's on Netflix at the moment. It's, I think it's just called Nureyev. And I've got to admit I hated it at the start because it uses one of the worst techniques I think you can ever use in a documentary and that is to explain certain things that happened to Nureyev in his early childhood and later life through the medium of dance, I wasn't. Oh no! I know, I know, I know. Look, I, I was like, oh, I can't. Interpretive dance. I no. can't watch this. This is terrible. This is terrible. But in actual fact, once you get past that, <laughs> it was so wonderful to see somebody who was so exquisite in so many ways, and and such an interesting and complicated individual. Nureyev had that incredible animal greatness. At the same time, he was a human being. He had to fight every inch of the way to become a dancer. My father was against any kind of dancing. How did you solve that? I ran away to take some lessons. And I've got to say, like, I I could not stop looking at him. And his relationship with Margot Fontaine, who was an older dancer who'd been shed, you know, shed aside because of that and for various other weird reasons, like her partner was supporting Fidel Castro. Like, it's it's bonkers. And the fashion, the fashion. (laughs) He goes on the Dick Cavett show, just he's been at the theatre across the road, and he's come in for a last-minute say g'day. And he's wearing this most amazing, exquisite outfit and platform boots. Last minute, say good day. Yeah, it was like just come from the theatre, darling. And platform boots. I was like, we do not dress well enough anymore. The seventies was the best for that. But also the terribly sad story of him dying of AIDS, and you know another casualty of that entire yeah. generation. We lost a generation of men, and and he was one of them. And he was. 
absolutely exquisite. I imagine he would have been a nightmare to to hang around or to train under. Apparently he was, and I'm sure his behaviour was inexcusable by today's standards. But fuck me, it was amazing to watch him because I just haven't spent I haven't spent time in any kind of performance like that in a long time. And and so if you can get mm. past the horrible interpretive dance explaining his early life, um, it gets better. So give it a go. That's very specific reviewing and I appreciate that because I would not get past that interpretive no, dance. No, 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 stick with it, stick with it. You. Yeah, and, and it's it's bonkers. His life was bonkers. He had five minutes to decide in a in an airport whether or not he would defect from Russia. There was one door that was the past and one door that was the future. Oh my like, gosh. think about that. Like that was the time. The, the, Russia was closed off from the rest of the world. We can't even imagine that now. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it was re- it's it's really great. Um in, in terms of that. So, yeah, give it a go. What about you? What are you banging on about? I'm banging on about, um, look, I will I will preface this by saying that I've been watching and reading a lot of the things that we've talked about before. So um, it, is a, it is a paddle steamer bang uh, coming up. But I think I, think I still think that's um, a great bang on. I know you do. I know you do. And many other people yes. do as well. <laughs> I have <laughs> been, I'll also preface, preface this <laughs> by saying that um, I... I really, uh, I've been trying to change my mindset off the back of listening to that great Ash Barty mindset coach, Ben Crow, on that conversations um, episode that I banged on mm-hmm. about a little while ago. I can't control the things that are happening. I can't control the numbers. Um, and in in terms of the pandemic and in, in Melbourne, we have this week um, been told that it's we're in the same situation as um, New South Wales. In Victoria, we're in the same situation as New South Wales where we've just got to wait till everyone's vaccinated and we're going to be in lockdown. Um, and that sucks. And um, the last year we went through a very long lockdown at this same period, so it's hard not to feel those um, feelings of Groundhog Day, but the thing that I felt last year was, and I know many people are with me, whether you're in Victoria or not, just un- being unable to remember time and, and what happened, everything being a bit of a blur. And I'm just adamant to not have that happen with this next couple of months because I, I need to try and make shape of the day somehow. So I'm trying to make shape of the day. I'm trying to control my mindset and I'm also trying to do things that I wouldn't normally do so that this time in my life isn't just a repeat of what happened last year. So I've been trying to learn new things and this week I made wontons oh. for the first time and it's so freaking easy. You will be so excited to know. Don't try and make the skins yourself. Just buy them from the local Chinese grocer and we made a little Brussels sprout and um, it's like Chinese chives lightly fried and then put in the little wontons and made these little dumplings and then boiled them up. And it was just, I know it sounds wanky, but it was kind of mindful. Yeah, cooking is mindful. I love it. (laughs) Takeaway meals. And I don't do any cooking. Like my partner is the chef and I'm so grateful for that. But it was nice doing something with him, making something with my hands being proud of it, seeing an outcome and learning a new skill and, and staying off my freaking phone and all that yep. sort of stuff. So I'm banging on about making wontons. <laughs> I take that. In the pandemic, I take Thank that you. as a great bang on. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think in a lot of, we've learned a lot about ourselves in this time, as difficult as it has been. And we won't have concrete memories because it is a bit of a blur, but I think we will remember this time as a time we learnt a fuckload about ourselves. And and what we mm. need and what we need to survive and what will help us, um, and I think all these things are important. You know, mm. 
you know, I've met all my neighbours in this pandemic and I didn't know any of them before really except for my immediate neighbours. But now I go down to the dog park every day at four o'clock and there's a whole bunch of people there that I talk to. And I would never have done that if it wasn't for the pandemic, I don't think. Because, you know, too busy, mm. got shit on. Uh, yeah. In and out, shake it about, off you go. Like, And now it's like, you're the only person I'll probably talk to all day. Are you ready for the barrage? <laughs> so it's, I think it's in that way it's actually been quite good for us. <laughs> Take it. I'm taking it. I'm taking it all. Yep. This is also very good for me, so thank you for yeah, me hearing too. my barrage every week, week in, week out. Yeah. Should we do it next week, barrage away? Why not? Why not? Barrage on, the new name of Bang On, Barrage On. <laughs> barrage. Uh, uh, we should just, just call, shut up. Just call it the punish. I'm just here to punish you with my thoughts <laughs> because they're built up all day and the dog and cats don't listen to me anymore. <laughs> Love you. We'll see you next week with our feelings. <laughs> Love yeah. you too. Bye. Bye. on.